0: Hello once again, everybody. and Thank you for joining me here on this Friday, April 17th edition of Bang the Book Radio. My name is Adam Burke, your host for however long I want to chat here with Brad Powers, professional handicapper over at bradpowersports.com. We're going to chat some college football here on today's show, talk a little bit about the NFL draft as well. Um, you know, those are really the only two things that we have to talk about right now, the NFL and college football, because we're not sure if those will be played, but we know that the other leagues right now not in action at all. So we'll be talking a lot of football here on today's program. We're talking a lot of football over at bangthebook.com as well. Got some draft stuff for you. Got some early college football games of the year, season win total type stuff for you over there as well. I'll have a horse racing preview for the Apple Blossom Handicap at Oaklawn Park this weekend. That's just about done. Just want to look through the past performance sheet here. In fact, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. So that Apple Blossom article probably going to be up By the time you're hearing this show. And as you know, this and every edition of Bang the Book Radio presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook. BTB and the number 200 is that promo code. 100% deposit match bonus for the Sportsbook. 100% deposit match bonus for the Live Casino at Bet DSI. It's only a game until you bet it. As I said, we're going to chat here with Brad Powers, professional handicapper, over at BradPowersSports.com, at Brad Powers, and the number 7 on Twitter. Brad how's it going today man?
1: Man it's going well how you doing on this fine Thursday?
0: I'm doing all right buddy you and I had a uh, spirited chat for an hour (laughs) before we started recording here Uh, so we've gotten a lot of other things off of our chests but now we're going to spend some time talking a little bit of football here for the college football season that we hope will be coming up and the NFL draft that we know is coming up and will probably be a little bit crazy and I guess in the interest of time, considering that, you know, the NFL draft will come before the college football season, if the college football season happens at all, what are you sort of looking at here for the NFL draft? I know you kind of did some stuff, released some stuff, have been working on some stuff uh, with your customers and your VIP clients. Any uh, any standout, you know, storylines or anything that you want to talk about here today?
1: Uh, great question. I uh, have not completely released it yet. I've just been doing player rankings and whatnot. A couple of reasons why I'm doing it. It's just, uh, you know, number one, I think I'm qualified from watching as much college football as I do. Number two, I'd like to, you know, evaluate, you know, who's the the worth of people that are actually being lost. I guess here's usually I do find value in in the NFL draft, and I'm not a guy that starts betting NFL draft props uh, if it's a typical year and it's not, obviously. I'm, you know, I'm not a guy that's betting in March because why? I'm betting March Madness in March. Uh, I'm a guy that's even found value, you know, a week, you know, few days out before the draft but i'm not seeing as much this year and, and the in the props that are available and i got a couple of theories why number one and what uh what else is sharps and betting on ping pong uh you know nascar i racing uh, i think the nfl draft has gotten worked over a little bit more than usual by the sharp players and it's been the case for the last several weeks leading up to it uh to me it's more of a I would say at this point, because discretionary income, even for a guy like myself, uh, is a little bit more limited than usual. It, to me, it's more it going to be more of a fun thing that, that, than looking to make a ton of money off of it.
0: Well, and that's one of those things, and I talked about this on Tuesday when we talked with Brian Blessing, and I wrote about this over at bangthebook.com on Wednesday, that if you want to know what's going to happen in the draft, you don't look at the mock drafts, you don't look at the Twitter fodder, or any of the you know risers and fallers and stuff like that, you look at the line moves in the betting market. This is very yep. much like the politics market. And I've used this example before where the way that the 2016 election kind of came together where Donald Trump was a big underdog over the summer, even throughout the early part of fall, then all of a sudden he wins the election. But we saw the odds. We saw his price going down, going down, going down and continually going down to the point where by 6.30, 7 o'clock on Election Day, he was actually the favorite out there in the yeah. market. People know things, man. And I don't know how they know them. I don't know if it's from studying, if it's from whatever they use to forecast. People know things. The Sharp community out there knows things about the draft. So if you see lines moving, you want to believe that more than you want to believe these mock drafts or anything like that.
1: Totally agree, especially if it's against some of the mock drafts that, that have recently been published. Uh, you follow the money. Uh, I mean, th- th- that we use that a lot, but that's certainly the case in a niche market like the NFL draft where it's all about information. Uh, I mean, I get it to uh, a big time certain extent, you know, pre-flop when we're handicapping college football, college basketball, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball games. You know, a lot of times it's about getting the right number, the right pricing and whatnot because a lot of... What we it's a known commodity for the most part not you always got that chance where there could be a, you know an injury or whatnot that the market doesn't fully a, evaluate correctly but in niche markets like this it's all about having an in and knowing and that's why uh, it's limited. It's not like you can bet you know twenty thousand uh, and walk in and, and uh, bet, bet that kind of money on something like this. It's why you know at least in Vegas prior to the draft they shut it out in 24 hours 24 hours before the, the first round, uh, kicks off, they shut it down. You can't bet on draft day, at least here in the state of Nevada. That's been the case here in the last three, four years since they opened it up. So I like whenever, you know, bookies like that uh, and the books are scared, usually th- that's, you know, opportunity to make some money. Because when they're scared, they, 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 there's a reason why they're scared. There's opportunity for guys like you and myself and the listeners out there to make some money. When, when they're willing to take action, $20,000, 30000 $50,000 type of bets, that's when we should be scared (laughs) because if they're not scared, uh, then maybe there's something out there that we're missing.
0: No, that's an excellent point. And and furthermore too, here, you know, I mean, again, you mentioned kind of some of the limitations and how strict some things can be out there in Nevada. That's really not the case in a lot of these sports that are approving sports betting. Now, of course, you know, um, you got some that are coming online here at the start of May, a place like Colorado that's expected to be a very, very competitive environment and will include Circa Sports and the Superbook, which is going to make the Rocky Mountain State very, very interesting. But a lot of these states kind of have more lax regulations. They've sort of had yeah. the online component from the start, whereas that's a relatively new thing for Nevada You're relative to how long the books have been around. Those are the states where I think you really want to watch this stuff too because, yeah, you're going to see a lot of it in the offshore market, the credit shops, and, and all those types of things. But also in these you know, maybe softer markets, these markets where they do like the odds boost promotions and, and things of that sort, those books could really take a bath here with the draft. And I think especially this year, just kind of the perfect storm of no other sports, everything's kind of coming together to see, you know, not just a, a lot of success, but a lot of line movement. And again, I, I wouldn't rush to go up against any sort of line move here.
1: No, no, i certainly certainly not at this point. Uh, especially now we're only a week out as we're recording this on Thursday. Uh, I'm not going to line up and say, oh, man, I'm going to fade that line move. This ain't like your typical, uh, you know, where I think there's an overreaction with the general betting public. The the betting public is not involved. They're shut down uh, at this point. Maybe they're trying to have some fun uh, betting a few, very, very niche. But the reality is, They're worried about making the next payment on their mortgage. They're not worried about taking advantage of the NFL draft prop market. Uh, The the majority of the money on this market is professional money. It's sharp. Uh, It's guys that are probably really honed in at this point because there's not other sports uh, that that are being played. All their time and focus and all their efforts can be on this market. And, again, I can't emphasize this enough, If you're fading these types of moves now. I just, I think you're very negative EV at this point.
0: Well, and again, just to, to, you know, kind of expand on that by calling it a sharp market, I mean, in and of itself, that tells you that not only are there some decent limit size bets out there, but the majority of the money is going to be respected. So this isn't something where like, you know, where you get an avalanche of public money that can maybe influence a line one way or another that hasn't had sharp money bet into it yet. These are already hammered into place by a lot of these sharp bettors that are out there now maybe some new information comes to light maybe some things do bounce back a little bit but this is one of those things where if you're a public better and you're looking at some of these odds and you're going oh this looks too good to be true imagine where that line probably was a week or so ago and where the sharp money has come in on
1: it that's probably not a side that you want to be on no uh, if it's too good to be true it probably isn't (laughs) especially in today's day and age and climate out there. I I don't, uh, I just don't, don't necessarily believe in that. And and again, I I guess my suggestion to those that are looking to to get involved, need something to do. uh, I'd limit yourself (laughs) as far as, you know, betting this at this time. Now, if you were working it over a few weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, then kudos. You're probably in in some decent, you put yourself in some decent uh, positions if you really followed it closely but, but if you're looking to bet it now, uh, again, I would say entertainment only. And that's what it probably should be at this point, entertainment, because what else is there to, to do as far as entertainment goes uh, right now? So just enjoy that the draft's taking place, uh, I guess, at this point. And if you're looking to, to really uh, you know, take take advantage or make some money, then do follow the line moves. I would say don't fade them at this point. I, I would say bet this weekend a little bit. Uh, because you know, and maybe you can set yourself up for when, when information really starts coming down early next week. Maybe you can position yourself for opportunities for middles, or, or you can buy back some positions. But uh, right now, I'd say bet as early as possible, and then wait for for some of that information. And maybe you can uh, you know w- work back a little bit at, at you know next Tuesday, next Wednesday. But but if you're looking to to make a fortune off of it, it ain't happening at this point. I, I can just tell you that.
0: Well, and the last thing I'll say here, and then we'll transition over to college football, is that you look at these people that are putting together mock drafts, and you know everyone's going to put together more mock drafts than usual this year because, well, there ain't shit going on. So they're going to be trying to get eyes on everything as much as they possibly can. And here's a big distinction I think needs to be made. The mock draft people want to be right for bragging rights. They get paid whether they're right or not. If you're betting on this stuff, you only get paid if you are right. So yep. the opinions of the people in the betting market, they've got a lot more to gain. Yeah, there's clout and credibility and stuff like that for all these mock draft people, but they're getting paid no matter what. And they're yep. you know getting paid for putting work out there. The bettors get paid by being right. So who has more to gain? The people that are talking about cold,
1: hard cash exclusively absolutely amen man get, get up on that uh pulpit for that because that's exact couldn't have said it better myself and a lot of those guys are getting paid for content no matter if it's correct information or not the more they pump out the more they're getting paid at this point point. And, and that's why you're exactly right i've seen more mock drafts than ever before and, and here's the thing there's some uncertainty because not like we had a bunch of pro days i, I think if you're looking for one take you know, go back to who looked good on film because I think right now with coaches very limited into what the and scouts and, and GMs and whatnot, I think it's almost a back to basics. Tate, don't lie. I think, you know, I don't think there's going to be a lot of people that are they're swooning over, you know, great pro days and whatnot because they didn't exist. I think we go back to what we saw last, and maybe a little, obviously, a little bit of it was combined, and a lot of it's going to be what they did on tape in the 2019 season. So there's one takeaway from me. I, I think a little bit more back to basics as far as, you know, evaluating these guys. So I, I'd be very wary on guys that didn't necessarily have good 2019 seasons, didn't have opportunities to wow the scouts in front of a pro day. Guys like the Jordan Loves, that's why we've seen his stock dropping. I think a lot of it's because he got a bad tape. People are watching the tape from last year. Hey, it wasn't good. He didn't have – it's not like you could wow in a pro day – uh i think there's a lot of that going on so that would probably be my major takeaway on how to handle this at this point yeah i agree that's an excellent point you think about somebody like cj henderson from florida who's
0: you know i mean his lines have moved a ton a lot of people isolated him last week as a guy that you know would have some helium would start moving up a little bit in the draft because the tape looks good we know he's athletic and he's the second best defensive back in a draft that's very very weak at corner so that's a safer type of pick to take a kid that you know, is going to be a multi-year starter at defensive back. You can work with him on technique. You can work with him on tackling or whatever his issue may be. If you've got kind of more of a boom or bust type of guy, like you said, you're going to see very inconsistent film and you're going to be very worried that, you know, people are going to say, Oh, you had all this time to study this pick and you got it wrong. Like,
1: yeah,
0: executives can't have that happen. So if you can make a safer pick, maybe with a little bit lower of a ceiling, you're probably going to be inclined to do that. And that's maybe why a guy like Henderson makes a big move in the odds market because not to say he can't be a star at defensive back, but simply that you know exactly what you're getting with a kid like that out of Florida, with the athleticism that they recruit on the defensive side of the ball, you know precisely what you're getting. And that's safety and that security like you said, because we don't have pro days. We don't have all those same measurables that people gush over and all that. You might want to be a little bit more conservative here, and maybe we see that bear itself out in the betting market with some of these guys where their prices or their over-unders come down.
1: Money's going to be tight. Uh, do you really want to take it? It's this the type of climate that we live in right now where you want to take a bunch of chances. I think a lot of people, you know, the, the, with the layoffs and whatnot and everything – I think you know people are going to be a little bit more conservative with their money. so why wouldn't that carry over to the NFL? Why wouldn't you be a little bit more conservative and a little bit more safe and go with someone reliable, multiple year starter at a place like Florida and the SEC, you know playing alongside elite, you know other competitors and playing against elite level competition. Uh, I think there is less you know guys that you're willing to take a risk on why uh, a lot of these pro days that's a, you know outside the combine combine the pro days first time you can see these guys in person uh if you don't taking that away from you uh why not be a little bit more safe and go with the guy that you've seen multiple times multiple seasons on film that wh- why not go with that and why not be safe so maybe we see more more i mean like, i don't know how many more it could be the secs dominated the draft but but maybe it's even more so this year maybe you know, if it's coming down to a guy from the MAC or a guy from the Big Ten, uh, I may, may, if you can get after any of those props where you're comparing conferences and whatnot, where you're going over/under number of players being being uh, you know drafted per conference, maybe you're fading a lot of the Group of Fives, the FCS guys, the amount of draft picks because there's just not as, as much information out there on those guys, and those guys for the most part are are more of a risk uh, type of uh, pick. So as you mentioned here, you know, one of the things that you kind of
0: use the NFL draft for is to sort of evaluate the players that are in it and then carry that over to your power ratings adjustments for college football. And it should surprise absolutely nobody (laughs) that your biggest drop here in power rating from 2019 to 2020 is the LSU Tigers. They lose Joe Burrow. They lose Justin Jefferson, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, a bunch of guys off of that defense as well. That's your biggest dropper here this year. How much did you move them down, and where do you kind of have them going into the, uh, into the summer portion of the offseason?
1: Yeah, so I dropped them double digits, power rating, double-digit points, and I'm not even sure it's enough at this point, so I'll evaluate it more clearly as we hopefully get a little bit more clarity as far as what's going to happen or not happen. Uh, 11 points, and so maybe it doesn't sound like that much, but I went back the last five years, and I've only dropped one team more and it was a MAC team, Western Michigan, off that year where they went unbeaten prior to the Cotton Bowl. They lost P.J. Fleck, and they lost a ton of upperclassmen in a historical type of season for them. That's the only team. So we're talking 130 teams times, times five, so 600-plus teams. Uh, I've never dropped the only one team further than LSU at this point. And, again, I'm not sure it's enough. I just finished up my, my, my player rankings and I'm looking at how many guys that I'm projecting LSU to get drafted. And right now I got 15, 15 guys <laughs> that I have in the top 255 that I expect to be drafted. Maybe, you know, one or two of those guys don't end up being drafted. But we're talking about an historic draft for LSU that's about, about to, be, you know, take place in a week from now. And again, I like fading historical outliers. You lose an historical amount of talent and production, and you also lose your two coordinators, your OC and your DC. Yeah, I if you're expecting LSU to make another run at the national title this year, it ain't happening, folks. I think it's more closer to a to three-loss type of team than it is a team that's going to contend with Alabama and the SEC West.
0: Well, and you've been putting out a ton of excellent information here. You did your spring football guide, which – A lot of spring games, of course, were canceled. You're going through on Twitter at Brad Powers in the number seven and releasing a team a day or a team every couple days uh, with regards to your power ratings and where you kind of have them. But LSU here tied for 129th in the country in returning starters with Louisiana Tech. So, again, we're talking about a team that has dropped uh, a significant amount in your power ratings. It should drop a significant amount in everybody's power ratings as well. Who else are some of the big fallers that you've had?
1: Uh, You know, I know a lot of people don't want to hear about it, but I love that this is a gambling show, uh, first and foremost, and it is about, you know, cold cash over anything. You know, Air Force is a team I'm looking to drop that I almost dropped double-digit points. They had an historical season, won double-digit wins. And and like most of the time, they they lost uh, a lot of heavy production from last year. That's more typically the case with your service academies because they're more upperclassmen-oriented, but – They only have Air Force nine starters and off a really good season uh, that they had the year ago. Uh, I think Air Force is due to take a drop. Hawaii's certainly up there losing a ton of production and also losing their head coach, Nick Rolovich. If you're looking for some of the bigger names looking to drop, two of them in the Power Five level, Utah. I think, again, a team off a historically good season, one game away from possibly making the playoffs, lose a ton of talent. Uh, for them you the the are up there I dropped them about a touchdown I think Baylor is also a team that you got to worry about uh, the Bears not only losing a ton of production but also losing their head coach to the Carolina Panthers uh, I think Baylor is a team that's probably goes from double digit wins to more of a team uh, in line for seven and five eight and four
0: now when we talk about you know teams that have dropped from the previous season We talk about those big names like an LSU. Uh, Utah's got a few kids going in the draft here, and maybe Jalen Johnson winds up being a first-round pick for them. I see that you dropped Ohio State about five points. They had some big losses, uh, most notably on the defensive side. And also, Master Teague is not J.K. Dobbins, although now they get Trey Sermon. That should help them out a little bit. And Ohio State just recruits really, really well anyway. But you also have some group of five teams on here, like a Louisiana Tech that we just mentioned, only eight returning starters for them liberty they're a faller for you florida atlantic losing lane kiffin and some production they drop six points here when you look at the difference between power five and group of five seems like power five is more production oriented in the sense that they're losing draft picks group of five is it is it a schematic thing or is it also you know just relative production for them compared to the you know their peers
1: Great question, I think, because it's early in the process. I usually don't have a final, final preseason number until the summer. Uh, I, I mean, I get more. I do actually read the preseason magazines because it's more information. And, and usually, uh, in a lot of those instances, team reporters writing those. So as I gather and read, 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 read more, I have a better preseason number. Uh, usually mid-June is when I feel extremely confident about my, my preseason ranking team. I'm not afforded that opportunity anymore because, I mean, season wind tolls are out, game of the years are out, uh, and an earlier clip than than ever before, and we've got a lot of moving parts. I would say everything's more production-oriented. To answer your question, a lot of those drops, more often than not, are going to be production. Uh, Just what you've got coming back from a returning experience, whether it be Bill Connolly's returning production, whether it goes to the simple method of returning starters, whether, you know, it analyzes how many draft picks you lose. Pretty much everything based on my power rating right now is a production. The other things I'm valuing right now uh, that goes into that power rating, simple stuff. Were you fortunate last year uh, as far as, you know, close wins and losses? I look at turnovers. I look at, you know, know, overall outliers. You know, were you a five-win type of team, five wins, five wins, and then you shot up to ten wins a year ago? Uh, I think, obviously, some regression towards the mean in those situations.
0: Very basic
1: uh, when I'm coming up with a power rating in April. June, it gets a little more complicated. Then it comes down to, you know, what's the value? A lot of times it takes me a long to, all right, you lost a ton of production, but what's the replacements looking like? Uh, It helps, certainly, to have spring practice reports that I'm not going to have this year to go off of that. Uh, but then I, I dive into you know coaching staffs, and obviously I, the head coaches are most important, but I start really diving into coordinators because sometimes I think you can upgrade at a coaching staff uh, and, and maybe a team that I initially downgraded because of it, and maybe I won't downgrade them. Maybe I actually think they'll be better off with the new coaching staff. So a lot of moving parts <laughs> with this season in particular. I'll feel a little bit – it'll be a more complicated – and better power rating about two months from now.
0: Now you've got in this spring guide, you've got the returning starters for each team and a couple, there are three teams that have 19 returning starters here this year, Georgia tech, Houston, and Northwestern. And those are three of your biggest risers on the small list that you have over in that spring football guide at Brad powers, the number seven on Twitter. You can find that. I want to focus specifically on Georgia tech, who you have up about eight points. Same thing for Northwestern, 19 returning starters, but both of those teams were God effing awful last season. So what's sort of the tipping point for you in that? Yeah, they've got returning production, but the production wasn't great to begin with.
1: Great question. Uh, you know, it's a multitude of why those guys are upgraded. Again, like I just mentioned, returning production has been a big part. Of my power rings at this point. I mean, it's just a basic power rating. Hey, I was taught it back in my days at Phil Steele. That's at least a jumping off point. Who's coming back for it? Even if they were crappy, don't don't you think you could, you know, make some improvements the second go around? I mean, that's just, is it always the case? No, but it's got to be the case more than 50% of the time you get better with experience and age and whatnot. I think that there's some extenuating circumstances with those two programs. Let's start with Georgia Tech. I think the, there wasn't a bigger transition in football than what Georgia Tech and Jeff Collins faced last year, transitioning from 10-plus years of running option football and moving more towards a pro-style system. Uh, Georgia Tech, obviously, it came to fruition in their win-loss record, but I got to think with extra, another year of recruiting with guys that are fit for his system on top of players that are going to be more adjust and more used to his system, I think that 19 means a lot to a second-year coach and Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech. Northwestern, a team that, if we're talking historical highs and lows, Northwestern had a big-time low last year, losing season for them, not just a losing season. We're talking a two-win type of season for Northwestern. we got to go back to the days of you know the 90s prior to the Purple to Pasadena to find Northwestern as bad as what they were a year ago. Now with returning experience, with a couple of key coaching staff changes for uh, Northwestern. I think those 19 guys aren't typically important. I think they're much more important. And also, to a lesser extent, Houston. I'm not a big Dana Holgerson fan, but the fact that it's his second year in his system there to have that kind of returning experience back for them, that's why Georgia Tech, Houston, and Northwestern uh, all made it there, not only because of the returning production, but also the, the, the individual situations they're in. I expect all three to be much improved this year.
0: Well, and a couple of other teams that you have on your list here are big gainers, Akron and UMass. And in fact, these are <laughs> the two biggest for you. yeah, but, but what's important to point out here is that you know a lot of what we do throughout the course of the season with regards to power ratings is expectation based. It's okay, you were supposed to lose by this much, you know your cover margin or your yep. margin of not covering the spread is X. We've got to start lowering you because perception is very low on you out there in the marketplace. I think what's important to look at is something like an Akron who you have power rated around a 42 and UMass around a 36.5, at least going off of these spring numbers. That's probably about where those teams were. Maybe Akron's a little bit higher, but it's probably about where those teams were coming into this season. So some of this isn't just gains and losses, returning production, so on and so forth. It's sort of, we're wiping the perception slate clean, too, because last year nobody wanted to bet on UMass. UMass was power-rated as the worst team ever for most of us at the FBS level. They're still the worst team going into this year, but they're not as historically bad because, well, we haven't seen them yet. So you kind of have to account for that a little bit and sort of wipe away what perception did last year.
1: It's another great point uh, that you have there. With those two teams, and again, I said, hey, a lot of this is returning production. Uh, neither one of those two teams are in the top 20, top 30, actually, nationally when it comes to returning experience. If we're just looking at the basic returning starters. Both have a decent amount back, but it's not like it's you know outliers. It's not top 10, not top 20, not top 30 as far as returning starters. What it is, why those two teams are power rated higher the, the, as far as biggest gains is, Hey, you can't go much lower than Massachusetts or Akron last year. Uh, two teams, Massachusetts was the lowest I've ever power rated a team. I think Akron was the second lowest I've ever power rated a team. So uh, I'm going back to more historical. Not all the way back. They're still incredibly low c- compared to where uh, they've been. But certainly i got to think that those two teams last year from a pure power ratings aspect, were 14, 15, 16 points lower than what they usually are. I have to think specifically both programs now in year 2 of a head coach have got to probably, you know, make up half the, all that ground that they they lost a year ago. That's just, you know, generally forget the what's coming back and what isn't. I got to think those two programs regardless of what's coming back at least have got to be a touchdown better than what they were a year ago. After being historically bad, it can't get much worse. I mean, UMass would have been a, a very, very bad FCS team if they played at that level. They might have only been a one or two win team, a win team at that level if they played it.
0: Well, and again, so to sort of illustrate here, I mean, usually our power ratings are they're not the exact same, but they're generally in the same ballpark. My end of season power ratings last year, I had UMass power rated at a twenty-seven. You've got them up eight points, 8.3 points, in fact, from 28.1 to 36.4. So if I kind of reset their power rating, I'd wind up being in the same spot. Akron, same thing. I had them power rated at 35. You move them up eight and a half points to 42.2. If I wipe my slate clean a little bit, kind of bring them back to where they were, that's probably about where they are. So it's important for people to keep that in mind, too. It's not like you like Akron or it's not like you like UMass. You're just making a correction because last year we saw a lot of market corrections and all of them were down on those two teams. So, again, the power ratings process is not an exact science for anybody, but if you've got the time to put in the work, and, and obviously right now we all do, and certainly you know, you've put in a lot of your work already, Brad, that's kind of what you get. You know, this isn't to say that you're buying Akron or UMass because you moved them up eight points. It's to say, well, they were historically awful last year. On the flip side, moving up a team like Florida State a touchdown into the top thirty, or USC moving them up a touchdown into the top twenty, maybe that's more along the lines of, hey, this could be a team I want to buy a little bit.
1: Exactly. So even though I have Akron and UMass, uh, you know, power rated, you know, that much above what they were a year ago, it. I mean, when you look at a win loss projection for UMass, I still only got them about a one and a half win. And one thing that I do do, and here's where I do like my team previews, something I do that, that, that I haven't seen a lot of other people do, uh, and you can follow me on Twitter for those, I put my end-of-season power rating in a graph what they've been the last five years, in a graph so you could see, you know, is this program up, down, or is it just straight up, is it straight down? And, and to put in perspective why UMass, I'll use them specifically, why there has to be, an adjustment towards the up. I mean, the previous four years prior to last year, this was a team that was consistently power rated, you know, fifty to fifty-five, and you could see that in my graph. And then all of a sudden, the team that for four years was fit between fifty and fifty-five on a power rating zero to one hundred, they're twenty-eight. So I mean, you you saw a twenty-five, you know, plus point drop uh, 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 on a team like UMass. You'd have to think, historically speaking there has to be some regression towards, I mean, it doesn't have to be all the way. Uh, they don't have to make up that, you know, 25, 28 points that they're down in one year. But but if you're, you don't have those teams at least somewhat improved, I think you're making a mistake.
0: So here's something I wanted to ask you about here, because you also put your college football season win total projections in there. And I want to talk about that process a little bit yeah. for a minute, because, you know, what we do, and we've talked about this before, you and I, You come up with your spread, you convert that into an expected win probability, expected win percentage, however you want to term that. That's sort of how you come up with your win total number for a team. Now, I noticed that in the example in your spring football guide here, you've got Clemson, and Clemson, of course, a massive favorite over everybody except for the road game at Notre Dame here coming up this season. But generally, as a rule for me, anything over about a 20-point favorite I just consider a win for them. But I notice here that for you, you've got Clemson at Georgia Tech minus 25.7, an expected win percentage of 96%, Louisville 27.9, 96%. Is that based on historical data of favorites of that size? How do you come up with that expected win percentage?
1: Another great question by you, and I expect nothing less. Yeah, historical. Uh, you know, I, I like to look at, uh, you know, historical data for, for that one. Uh, I, I don't think it's zero. I mean, we've seen, I mean, hell, let's use Clemson as a program. I, mean, I could argue that it could be, it should be maybe less a, a program that, you know, just a couple of years ago lost outright as a 25 plus point favorite at Syracuse. Hell, it could have lost outright if a two point conversion doesn't happen against North Carolina last year as a four touchdown favorite. They could have easily lost that game. So I, I don't. It's it's certainly not zero for me. The only time it gets zero is when you get in those fifty plus point range. Why? Because we've never had a fifty plus point underdog in the history of college football win outright. In fact, we've only had two teams win outright as a forty plus point underdog. Uh, that that being Howard over UNLV, and who knows if that line should have been forty five. And then obviously the Stanford USC game. Uh, for, from 10-plus years ago. That's it as far as 40-plus point uh, underdogs winning outright. So it's not until I get in that 40-plus range where, where I start awarding 99-plus percents and even in some cases 100. Uh, we see it every year, you know, 28-point underdogs winning outright. We had a few even last year. So to me, I think you're making you – know, we're talking decimal points at this point, <laughs> uh, quote-unquote, Uh, But I think you're making a little bit of an error automatically giving teams 21 plus points, giving them that 400%. I think it's closer to that 90 to 95%. And that's how I do it when uh, I'm awarding the win percentage. It's all based off historical uh, percentages of what has happened in the past.
0: Well, I mean, that's interesting to me because I I wonder, I don't know if you can answer this. Maybe we'd have to do some digging. How do the, the books do it? in terms of you know setting their win total lines are they looking you know historically saying okay a team it's a 28 point favorite do they've won outright 96 percent of the time or are they kind of doing what i'm doing and just sort of automatically saying you know what we might as well treat this as a win because it's you know very likely to be one i sort of wonder what impact that has for you and i having the the different calculations versus the market number
1: so that's another great question. Uh, I think they probably do a little bit of both. I think it's, some of it's formula-based. I think they treat it, you know some teams differently because, uh, to me, I'm probably going to come a little bit lower on the teams like Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, but by doing it the way that I do it, pure math-based, I understand why those teams get shaded uh, a little bit higher than me. Why? Because, I mean, they've just proven over time that they're less likely uh, to suffer those types of upsets, even though I said Clemson, it's happened to them multiple times in the last five, six years. It hasn't happened to teams. Uh, you know, Alabama hasn't lost to an unranked team, I think, since like 2007. I mean, that's been – I could see why Alabama always gets treated an extra maybe half win than what, the, you know, statistically speaking, at least what my win percentages uh, call for. I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, I think that they go off the math base for a lot of teams, but but then – you know, for, for some of the more public teams, they'll, they'll shade it a little bit higher.
0: So here's one thing I wanted to ask you, because we had this conversation on Tuesday's show with Brian Blessing. I want to get your take on it as well. If we get a college football season this fall, <laughs> and even if we get one in the spring, probably going to be without fans. So what we were kind of having sort of a philosophical discussion on is what makes up Home field advantage. Is it a travel consideration more than anything? Is it the crowd more than anything? Because, look, I mean, the idea of going and playing in, against, you know, a football team and 105,000 fans at the big house is a big deal. But going and playing against Michigan at the big house with nobody in attendance is a lot less daunting. So yeah. we're sort of trying to figure out here, and this would have an impact when you talk about projecting out spreads and win percentages. If you start taking home field advantage away, some teams may go from being a favorite to being a dog in a game, or vice versa. So, I mean, what is is it travel? Is it atmosphere? Is it you know weather? I mean, I, I don't really know the answer to that. Oh, I, I don't, wow, know if you yeah. do, but I mean, how do you sort of figure out a home field
1: advantage in an environment without fans? Well, I don't have a scientific I mean it's close. I mean, I don't have it to the exact you know percentage point because if I did, I wouldn't be talking to you. I'd have a lot of this figured out. Uh, but I think it's a, fans are at least half. Uh, it, it's probably a case by case basis, uh, but it's certainly, I think fans, especially at the big time environments, it's at least half of it. The other half is travel. I think if you're not, if you totally, if there's no fans and you take away all the home field advantage, I think that's a mistake. I, I think you still would have to, uh, there's a big difference to sleeping in your own bed. Uh, than getting on a plane. And I think there might be some anxiety concerns maybe getting on a plane at this point, Uh, maybe that that you got to worry about, oh, wow, I'm getting on a plane. Uh, You know, maybe there's a little bit of that. So I think you at least cut the home field advantage in half. Uh, Do I give a straight, you know, home field advantage for every team? Is it uh, for every team it's three points? No. Uh, I mean, I, I certainly think home field is worth differently at Eastern Michigan that it is a Penn State at night in a whiteout. Why the fan is there? So again, I'll ha- I'll, I'll take the fan angle out of it. Uh, for some teams, it'll be next to zero because Eastern Michigan doesn't play in front of anybody, and some teams like you know Penn State, it might be a couple of points uh, that that I'm taking away. So uh, th- that that is what I'll have to do on a case by case basis. But it's not home field. not going to be worth zero. But I, I still think it'll be worth. I don't know, point, point and a half, uh, but but when you're coming off of three and three plus on some of the major teams, uh, that that that's pretty significant. If you're moving a team's power rating, you know, a total of, of two touchdowns, uh, when when you add up the six seven home games, yeah, that that's going to factoring in, into your uh, season win total projections when it's all said and done. And, and I think a lot of it, that right there, not knowing that, and, and also not knowing when the season's going to start. Even though I've seen some tremendous bets out there in the marketplace, I, for those reasons right there, have been much more conservative with what I'm betting right now than what I typically would. I went hog wild on some of these numbers that I've seen at Caesars and DraftKings if it was a normal year.
0: Well, it's it's so tough to figure out, too. And I'll pose one other question to you here before we wrap up. That, you know, Brian was kind of talking and and he does a show called Sportsbook Radio where he talks to a lot of different sportsbook directors. And I guess they started having this discussion and he was saying something to the effect of, you know, hey, totals probably need to go up five or six points in a lot of these games because now you're going to have a lot more communication for that away team. They're going to have a much better chance at getting their plays off, getting their timing off, not having penalties, stuff like that. And he said that, you know, a lot of the sports book directors were kind of like, "Eh, no, that's, that's too extreme. You know, we wouldn't need to make any sort of adjustment like that. But I do think that, you know, if you're maybe a more potent offense, you know, let's say you've got a, you know, especially a really potent offense in a, you know, conference that's got some big home field advantages, like say the Big Ten with some, you know, packed environments and stuff like that. And you're a potent offense on the road and you don't really have any opposition to scoring. I think you do have to make not only a totals adjustment, but maybe that is a case-by-case type of basis in terms of the spread too, to where if that team's not bothered by a hundred thousand fans screaming and yelling when the quarterback's trying to audible or check out of a play, that offense is probably going to have a lot more success.
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't even think of that. So kudos for that theory. Uh, I, 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 I'm not sure if it's so worth four or five points,
0: it, man. Yeah,
1: I mean, what else we got to do? I have so many theories. We could do a whole show on theories on how this is going to, you know, impact some teams and whatnot. I, I think, again, case-by-case case basis, I would think – I don't know if I'd go four or five points, but the way you just laid it out there, uh, maybe you, you impact the total, especially on these offensive teams. Probably worth a couple points. Maybe whatever you gave away, home. if you just want some simplicity and not go – too extreme in the complexity, maybe whatever you gave away as far as home field advantage, maybe you give those couple points to the total as far as upping it, especially if you've got an offensive-oriented team on the road. So that would be my general take there. I do agree with that. That would certainly help the teams when it's based on timing and everything. When when you're not playing in in front of anybody and you have no noise and no disruption and you can hear play calls and whatnot, then, then certainly I think that would help offensive teams.
0: Well, again, I mean, all these unknowns, you know, not knowing when the season is going to start, you know, how many practices and, and scrimmages and, you know, things do these teams actually get to do before the season starts, you know, or do they try to fast track this thing, limit exposure, get everybody going right away. We could get some really sloppy and bad offense early on in the year. We could have different weather considerations if the season starts a little bit later, so many unknowns and 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 that's what's so disappointing and this will be the last point we end on here is that you know you and i have talked about this every summer or every spring or whatever else this accelerated timeline of win totals coming out of games of the year coming out and this year of course for a variety of different reasons they're out earlier than ever and it's just it's i don't want to say it's impossible to fire into them but it's very very difficult
1: absolutely it is i mean I'm probably I fired at probably 10, 20% of what I typically would uh, th- because there's so many moving parts. I mean, and they're out earlier than ever because, before.
0: And that's brutal for you because you get a lot of line value on those games of the year and you get a lot of win total value. You make up a good portion, you know, of your successes with these, you know, spring and summer bets. I mean, that's frustrating as hell.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can, you know, criticize me and rightly so for my, you know, in-season bet, in betting and picks, but one thing I do think I'm really world-class, and, and I'm very hard on myself, so I don't like puffing myself up, but I do think I'm world-class in betting the off-season college football markets where, I mean, if you're telling me where's the line going to move in, in this game, I could probably tell you, I know some people think this is cocky, but at, at this time of year, I could probably project project 90% of where the line's going to move. Does not mean I win 90% of these bets? Hell no. I mean, I've lost a ton of bets that I've been ahead of the market 7, 10 points, but I'm I'm very comfortable thinking with the win expectation of sixty plus percent on those, and I'm being conservative because I know less uh, they're going to hold my money for more. If you're talking time value money, uh, you know they're holding my money a couple more months at least. I mean, even if there is a season, so for me to make a bet at this point, I got We're talking when we're talking game of the year lines, it has to be. For me, uh, touchdown plus, uh, I'd prefer early in the season as opposed to later uh, just because I don't want to hold my money for that much more. Win totals have got to be off a game plus for me to make a bet. Uh, And and you can make a lot of money off, obviously, half wins being off. But it has to be a game plus for me. And in some instances, the the only bets I made were a game and a half or just flat out, I thought, just uh, maybe typing errors. I, I couldn't believe like caesars had ohio at five and a half i'm like wow they, they must have meant eight eight and a half and they must have fat fingered that or or did something wrong that, that's the only bets i'm making uh so 10 20 percent of what i typically am doing at this time of year and obviously that's gonna have an impact on the bankroll when it's all said and done
0: brad powers professional handicapper over at bradpowerssports.com uh you know, hey, there, there may not be a whole lot going on with NFL and, or with uh, excuse me NHL, NBA, MLB, but you're still very hard at
1: work with all the football stuff. Sprint Football Preview gets you covered every single season win total, and I have every single line on every single game. My projected power ratings line right now for every single college football game that's hopefully going to get played this year, although I have my doubts, you can find that for free. I'm doing team previews, individual team previews, where you can really – get a jump start uh for free so i'm not asking for any money why would i i mean who knows what's going to happen a- at this point the good thing is if you want to take your mind off of things and w- want to d- dive into some college football uh you can do so at bradpowersports.com or at, uh, on twitter at brad powers at number seven and all the stuff i'm putting out there is for free at this point
0: and it's a lot of great stuff as well and brad it's always good to chat with you man a little bit of a uh I guess, a quasi-sense of normalcy here with us talking some college football. And, uh, you know, your work is phenomenal, especially here in the spring and summer. And I certainly appreciate you hopping on the show here with me today. Once again, that's Brad Powers at Brad Powers and the number 7. BradPowersSports.com is the website. Always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you again soon.
1: It was my pleasure, man. Really good talking to you.
0: There you go. There's Brad Powers once again at Brad Powers and the number seven on Twitter. Brad is the website. Coming up on our Monday edition of the Betters Box, we'll do another edition of the Monday mailbag at Skating Tripods on Twitter, skatingtripods at gmail.com, Adam at bangthebook.com to send in your questions. And I'll just talk some baseball about whatever I decide I want to talk about there on that Monday show. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again on Monday